0: Peter was one of these people that really uh, got to know Jesus, was very close, was very personal with him. Uh, And so a lot of times we see Peter just kind of jumping in there. You know, he's the one that when they see Jesus walking on water, he just jumps out there to walk on water and he gets about one step and then falls in. Jesus has to rescue him. Uh, He's the one that Tells Jesus here when he speaks up for all the, uh, uh, all the disciples when he says, who, who do you say I am? He's the first one to say, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the son of God. You know, we, you are the Messiah, the one that we were waiting for. Uh, and so Peter, he has a very special relationship with Jesus. He was one of the first that was called by Jesus when Jesus first starts his ministry. You know, in Jesus, in the the beginning of all the different gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, um, and Luke, he goes around kind of calling his disciples and he asked them to follow him. And Peter was one of those first 12 that we really hear about Jesus calling. And so before he started following Jesus, the dude was just, he was a regular guy. He was a fisherman. Uh, he was not well off. Uh, he was not learned. He had never went to Torah school. Uh, so he wasn't like Nicodemus. He wasn't like the rich young ruler. He, he wasn't this, uh, this man that had kind of known the law or was a strict follower of it he was he was a normal guy that Jesus had called to follow him and he wasn't of noble birth or anything like that he was just regular um and then he meets Jesus and you see that he is turned into something very different than his previous life uh Peter was the guy that took the lead among the apostles. We see as soon as Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter is the guy that stands up and preaches the first sermon that sees thousands of people get saved. He is the first person to do that in Acts. He kind of takes the charge of the early church. He wasn't perfect. He was a guy who denied Christ after promising Christ that he would never leave his side. He then denies him, but he obviously repents of this and then We see him be one of these these pillars of the early church. Um, And tradition has it in church history that Peter, uh, he he became a martyr. He died for his faith. And when they went to kill Peter, they were going to crucify him. But he had told the um, Romans that he didn't want to be crucified because he didn't find himself as worthy as Christ to die in the same manner as him. So he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die the same death as Jesus. This man went from being a nobody from nowhere to being one of the really pillars and founders of the early church and then giving up his life for Jesus. And so when we read this story um, about Jesus, this conversation that Jesus has with Peter and his disciples, we can't take this story as... Uh, just something that's poetic or something that, uh, you know, is, is, is kind of hyperbole or is exaggerated. This is not that type of conversation that Jesus is having. When we look at the life of the disciples, when we look at what Jesus is telling them here in this conversation, we have to understand that this is a very serious conversation. What Jesus is saying here, he means. And we can see that with how the disciples actually live their life. And so we, I, I want us to just kind of remember that. This, this is a very real conversation that Jesus has here with Peter. And so first, uh, the kind of conversation goes along like this. Jesus is kind of testing out what the disciples think. Uh, and, he, and he throws out this question. Who do people say that I am? You know, what, what are, what's, what's the word on the street? What's, uh, what's, what are people saying about me? What, what are they, who do they think? You know, he's been going around for a little while. He's done some pretty amazing miracles. He's uh, done things that really no human should be able to do. And so he kind of puts a feeler out there. And the disciples answer, nothing crazy. They, some people say you're John the Baptist. You know, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Elijah, very standard stuff for kind of Jewish people to believe at this time. John the Baptist was a very recent prophet that really the Israelites had accepted into that fold, um, and they they knew that prophets did great things. So you know Elijah was a prophet. So they're just kind of very safe standard things. You know, in, in some religions today, people still hold that Jesus was just a prophet. Um, so it's it's not hard to see why they thought this. Uh, And the Jewish people were waiting for Elijah to come back, you know, one of the prophets. That was the signaling of the Messiah to come back. They didn't realize that he came back through John the Baptist, that he had the spirit of Elijah on him. Um, But, you know, this was a very normal response. So then Jesus, you know, he takes it a little bit further, and he says, who do you guys think that I am? I know what the crowd thinks, you know, I know what people are saying now, but what do you guys think? And so Peter jumps in as he normally does if you're reading conversations between Jesus and the disciples. And Peter says, You are the Christ of God. And what's interesting is, up until this point, angels uh, have referred to Jesus as the Christ, demons have actually referred to him as the Christ. Um, Jesus himself calls himself the Messiah. And the narrator, Luke, has attested to Jesus being the Savior. But this is the first time in Luke that we are getting the disciples testifying to Jesus being the Messiah. And so when they kind of share this thing, uh, Jesus then has a deeper conversation with them. Uh, Because it's one thing to acknowledge who Jesus is, we see that a lot of different people acknowledge who he is, including demons acknowledging, evil spirits acknowledging who Jesus is. And so, but Jesus then wants to make sure that they understand that the knowledge of who he is and then the acceptance of who he is shows a radical change of life. And it it means something because what happened is God the Father revealed to the disciples who Jesus was. They received him They received who he was, and so now Jesus explains to them from this moment, what does that mean for your life? You know, in the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to receive Jesus, and we've talked about people from all different types of backgrounds receiving him and what salvation has meant for their life, but now we see a group of people, and specifically Peter, that says, yes, we we have received you, we know who you are, and then Jesus with them explains, now this is what it really means to walk a life of knowledge and acceptance of Jesus, and that's where we're going to kind of park for the rest of the time. And so what we're going to look at now is verse 23, where Jesus first defines what discipleship is. In, in verse 23, it says, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, or that means be a disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So right before Jesus says this, he, first he kind of prophesies to them. He says, hey, this is what I'm going to go through. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise from the dead. And this is what I'm going to go through. Now I want you to understand what your life as a disciple is going to mean. And so Jesus defines that. If anyone would come after me, is basically Jesus saying, all right, this is what it means to be a disciple. And he says three things, to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily, and to follow me. And so I want to look at each of those three different things uh, before we kind of look at uh, some other meat that Jesus gives them here. So the first thing that Jesus says is, uh, what does discipleship mean? And and this is important for us because as a church, we have three core values here, and that's community, discipleship, and and We're going to kind of understand, if we haven't understood yet, why discipleship is a core value, why we find this thing to be uh, so important in the life of the church that we talk about it a lot, we think about it a lot, and we want to do it as a church. Uh, And so understanding how does Jesus define discipleship is important for us as a church to understand how are we going to define what discipleship is or being a disciple. And so the first thing Jesus says is it means denying self. And so this is not just actually having self-control, which a lot of times it's easy to think when Jesus says to deny oneself. A lot of, if we have been in the faith for a while, we can just mean that, well, this means self-control, you know, to, um, you know, when I, I really want that brownie right now, uh, but I'm going to deny myself, you know. And I'm not going to be a glutton today. I'm going to try to stay away because I've been eating too many brownies. And so I'm a disciple denying myself uh, for the glory of God. That is not what Jesus means right here. This deny yourself actually means this, to lose one's personal control over their life, to lose one's personal control control over their life and that's really important for us to understand because we live in a western culture that is very individualistic. You know, we we don't understand this idea of us not being in control of our life. In fact, a lot of times uh, our christianity is us wanting to be more in control of our life. And so we add Jesus to the equation of our life because we wanna get some things more stable or we want to kind of add a more religious element, a more spiritual element to who we are. And so we add Jesus. But really, the, the first part of being a disciple is losing your personal control and power over who you are. You are denying literally oneself. You are denying yourself. And what you're doing is you are giving that control over to your Lord. You are giving that control over to God. You are giving that control over to him. And you're saying, listen, I'm not not in power over my actions anymore. I'm not in power over my future. I'm not not in power over my decision-making. That now rests in your hands. That rests in what you want to do with me. My my life is yours. I am the clay. You are the potter. Whatever you want to mold me in, whatever shape, whatever fashion, whatever person, whatever man, whatever woman that you want me to be, whatever career you want me to take, whatever you want me to do, guess what? My life is yours. It's no longer my life. You know, a lot of times our prayer is spent in how do we cajole God into giving us what we want for the life that I want to live. But really our prayer would be how do I live the life that you want me to live and deny the life that I have desires for? And so Jesus is saying step number one here is denying yourself, is denying your personal control over your life. That is a core understanding of discipleship, of following Jesus, is saying, you're in charge now. I'm not in charge. What I wanted to do, the hopes, the dreams, the desires that I had for my life, guess what, I have to check in with somebody. Because if they're not his hopes, dreams, and desires for my life, then that, that means what? That my hopes, dreams, and desires are changing. They're different. There's a lot of times Where I think, man, I I could have been this, or I could have done this, or wouldn't it be great if I had time to do this in my life? But I have to remember, that's just not my life. That's not the life I was called to be in. That's not the life I was called to be, or who I am, that Christ has made me to be. And we're going to talk about the kind of satisfaction that Jesus offers in denying yourself later. If you're just kind of down on yourself right now and saying, like, man... This sounds really bad. The second thing he says is to take up the cross daily. See, the, the cross really here is a symbol of rejection and death. And so, you know, for, for some of these guys, this meant literal death. You know, if you read church history, uh, you read countless stories of martyrs, uh, of people who gave up their life, Um for the faith. But really here, again, Jesus is talking about a daily death and rejection that has to take place in the life of a believer. You know, there is one aspect of following Jesus where his people need to be ready to be rejected. And that's part of what taking up your cross means. Jesus, on a few occasions, he went to the disciples and he said, you have to be prepared because the world is going to reject you when you live out my gospel, when you live out my message, when you preach the word I have taught you. Guess what? Society and people aren't going to like that and they're going to shun you. They're going to turn you away. They're going to reject you. And that's part of the life of a believer. You know, the, the Bible, God, his word, Jesus has very unpopular views to culture, You know, it has views on sexuality, on gender, on marriage that are not popular today. And to have these same views that the word teaches us that Jesus taught is to be unpopular. And part of living a life that follows Jesus is being ready for the rejection of people, for having these unpopular views. And having a place where you can wake up and realize that there needs to be a kind of, the the Bible refers to our sinful nature, um, our part of who we are before Christ and then after Christ. There is something, it it refers to it as our flesh, as this, this desirous part of us that does not desire what God wants. It desires what It wants, you know, whatever it is, you know, all of us have kind of these different desires and that may be... Who knows? It may be playing too many video games, it may be drinking too much alcohol, it may be doing drugs, it may be lying, it may be sleeping around. Whatever it is, there is something in us that the Bible refers to as the flesh that is the antithesis of what the Spirit wants for our life and is that constant war. And so there is a daily death that needs to happen to this flesh thing that is part of denying ourselves, of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus today. I'm going to take up my cross daily. The the sinful nature is not going to control my decisions today. The sinful nature, this, this part of me that wants to so desperately do things that is outside of what God has called me to do, is outside of obeying our Lord, this is going to die this morning before I walk out of my house. The third thing that Jesus says is to follow him. This means to follow him in many different senses. This is following Jesus, literally, he was telling these guys, follow me, we're going to walk around, we're going to walk around a lot. You know, Jesus was traveling all over the place and he asked them to follow him. But there was also the following in the sense of his way of life. For the disciples, that literally meant walking around with him, but What it means also, what he was saying is, you're going to take my cues on everything. You're going to take my cues on on culture, on on politics, on on philosophy, on theology, all of this stuff. You're going to take my cues on this. You're going to follow my lead. You know, you're not going to follow what you think sounds the best or what is the best of popular culture you're not going to follow what the, the you know is on the media is is really being pushed by political agendas or being pushed by what we're learning in school what you're really going to follow is you're going to follow me what i have to say about this stuff is going to come first and foremost and through that lens then you're going to live your life you know, and Paul later on says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He tells the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. Because part of being a disciple is following someone else. You have to find people in your life and you say, man, you are a lot more Christ-like than I am. You know, and so I'm, I'm going to follow you as you are following Christ. And, and that's necessary for our lives as believers, to have people in our lives that we can say, man, you've been through this territory before, you've been through these shaky waters, you've you've weathered this storm before where I am having trouble weathering the storm. I need somebody that I can look to that is looking at Christ that can help pull me through. See, part of our individualistic culture doesn't only say that we rule our lives, but it says we go through our lives alone. But yet, Christ is constantly reaffirming that this is something that is done as a family, as a body, as a unit. This isn't something that is individually just between you and God. There's an element of that when you receive salvation, but part of following God as a whole is not something that's done on an individual basis. You know, it's, it's not the, oh, I'm just gonna do me kind of thing. It, it, it's not the, you know, I'm... You know, I'm I'm good with Jesus, and so I don't need to be part of his church. And I hear that a lot today, and it's it's disheartening for me to hear that because when I do hear that, I realize that probably that person is struggling a lot. And and they may have, you know, said they believe in Jesus and they like the idea of Jesus, but probably they're they're not able to stay consistently with that and struggling with their inner temptations and their flesh and, and all the things that people do struggle with but if you don't have the body there with you then I think it's impossible to follow Christ and be a disciple. And so Jesus gives this overview of discipleship. He says this is what it means to be a disciple. But then he kind of gives this broader picture of how does it play out in your life to be a disciple. And he makes these three clear statements. Verse 24, the first statement he makes, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Just imagine with me, anything you you want, anything you could possibly dream of. Picture the way you would want your life to be run. Perfect health, lots of money, the perfect job, maybe no job, you know, I never know. (laughs) It depends on where you are on the lazy spectrum. All the followers you could ever want on social media, like just think of a number and you have it. You're on TV, you have status, but at the end of this, at the end of your life, you will have to be judged on your own for everything that you did wrong. So you'd go before God and maybe he'd ask you some questions like, have you ever lied? You know, if you said no there, he'd be like, gotcha, just lied. Have you ever stolen anything? Have, have you ever lusted after someone or something? Yeah. So being judged on your own merit now, you cannot have eternal life with me. What if you had everything you wanted, but then at the end of your life, you had to pay for that? by being rejected from eternal life. So you had maybe 60 years of of what you thought would be perfection, but eternity in torment. Or you can do this. You can look at your creator and you can say, what have you planned for me? What have you for my life? You can look at what Jesus said, and he said to deny yourself, deny who you want to be, control over your life, and give it to him. And you could say, what is your plans? What do you have for me? And you can say yes to that. And you can be at peace on earth and then joy for eternity. Because when you get to that judgment day, what happens is you have an advocate in heaven for you. Where Jesus comes and he advocates on your behalf. And he says, no, I, I've covered this. Amen. I've got this. See, yeah, all that, that's fine. It was paid for already. So really, he, he can go in. See, what... What Jesus is saying for is the ones that want to save their lives, the ones that in the end say, I will not deny myself. I will not say no. I will not give control of who I am to somebody else. In the end, those are the people that lose out on true life. But the ones that give up their life. The ones that say, no, it's, it's not really what I want. Lord, you are now my master. I give myself over to you. What you want, what you call, what you desire is now my desires. What your plans are for me is now my plans for me. What, what you want for my life is now what I want for my life. Jesus says, those are the people that actually save their life. See, even Jesus faced this choice when he was tempted by the devil. The devil took him to the highest peak and he said, I'll give you all of these nations. They could be yours. But Jesus, if he would have taken the easy way out, would have given up everything. But by saying no, denying this temptation in his life, He took a path that was painful. He took a path that was hard. He took a path that ultimately led to crucifixion, but what? Also his resurrection and glorification, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling in an everlasting kingdom. Second thing Jesus' statement he makes, he says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses or forfeits himself? If you had everything that you wanted, but you lost your soul, was it worth it? What was it for? Do you think, I'd, I'd rather focus on my career? I'd rather be culturally relevant. I'd rather enjoy sex where I can. You know, that, those things seem really good. They seem really enticing. But every few months, I feel like we're reminded on the news on, on where those things lead. Think of heartbreaking stories like Robin Williams. The dude had everything. He had the money. He had the fame. He could had anything he wanted. But in the end, he took his own life because those things are not enough. When we want to save our life, when we bring these things into our own hands, we actually are destroying it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Because... Really, what does it profit you if you had everything that you wanted, but you lose your soul? What does it profit you if you really go after those things? that you desire, that you want, and maybe you burn bridges along the way, you don't take care of your family, you you you, you attack your, your your friends, and you, you step over people, on people to get where you want to go, and in the process of, of, of having this tunnel vision of that one thing that you want, maybe that promotion, or maybe that girl, that guy, that drug, and at the end, when you finally get it, and you feel ugly inside because you lost your soul in the process, was it worth it? Third thing Jesus says, whoever is ashamed, in verse 26, of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says, don't get it twisted. You will be denied if you deny me. If you come before the Father and you have spent your entire life denying me, then I We'll have to say, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. I can't vouch for you on that day. I will stand ashamed as well. See, the thing about discipleship is it's not an addition. It's not just a compartment of who we are. It's not a cool church fad. It's not a buzzword that we decided to use. Disciples is who we are as Christians. See, if we are not disciples, if we are not people who have given up who we are as people and followed Christ as Christians, then we are not Christian. And the, the, the sad thing that has happened in the church today is we have, we have separated those two words. We have said, you can be a Christian, but uh, you don't have to be a disciple. Or We've said, when you, when you are a Christian, we're going to teach you. Or may, Can you be a disciple? I, I want to teach you about discipleship. I want to I have you be a part of something called discipleship. And the truth of the matter is, if we are not disciples where we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Christ, then guess what? We are not Christians. Because discipleship and Christianity is actually one and the same. And what we've done is we've separated this thing that Jesus has said should not be separated. Our salvation from our discipleship. And we've said we can be saved and live however we want, but what Jesus says is if you are saved, you are live how I want you to live. If you truly believe in me and in my gospel and what I've done and what i said, then guess what? You're gonna obey me as well. And there's no way that if you don't obey me that you can truly believe in me. And so what Jesus did is he said to believe in me, to receive salvation, is I'm going to make that nothing for you. I'm gonna make it so that all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say yes. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a clean slate. In your past, we've learned that over the last month. The people that came to Jesus sometimes were the most surprising. The man who is a backstabber, betrayer of his people. And sometimes the religious ones are the ones to deny him. So Jesus said, I'm going to accept anybody into my fold, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. I've I've taken care of it on the cross. But when you believe me, you follow me. And this is what it means to follow me. See, you don't need to change to become a Christian, but becoming a Christian will change you. And if it doesn't change you, then I have to ask, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a Christian that has separated discipleship from Christianity? And then I would say then them, maybe not a Christian. Or are you one that has merged them as one and the same and said, Father, I will not only believe in what you've done, but I will follow what you've called me to do. See, the truth is, is that we are called, just like Jesus was, to give up everything. But the moment that we give up everything that we are and we place it in the hands of Jesus, that is the moment that we truly become alive. That is the moment that we experience true joy and true life, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, that we have springs of living water welling up from the inside. But if we deny Christ and we live how we want to live, guess what? We lose our soul in the process. And there's many of us here who have lost our soul before. We've been through the way that we wanted to do it. We've been through the way of saying no to Jesus and yes to my way. And we have saw where that led before. That led to depression. It led to anxiety. It led to hardship that we had no one to walk through with us. But when we have given our lives to Jesus, we have seen that even in the hard times, we have joy. Even in the difficulties... The spring of living water is gushing forth in my soul. Why don't you stand with me? Father, I pray that we would be a church, Father, that follows you in everything that we do, that we would give up our life for you, Lord, that we would not be wishy-washy in our commitment to you, but we would make definitive understandings and declarations, Lord, in our life, that we will follow you. This is not my life. This is yours. These are not my plans. They are yours. When I pray tonight, God, I'm going to say, Lord, what would you want of my life? If that means a direction I don't understand, so be it. I know that you have me. If that means a choice that I didn't want to make, so be it. I know that you know all things, God, that I couldn't understand what you're doing, Father. Lord, if it means the denying the very essence of who I think I am, then so be it. Because I know I will save my life the moment I give it away. Father, I pray that we will be a church of disciples, a people who lay down their life, a people who deny themselves, who take up their cross daily and who follow you to the ends of the earth, wherever you may call. That no matter what comes, no matter the world, no matter what our flesh says, God, that we would know where we stand. Lord, even when we mess up, Lord, that we would know who to repent to, that we would know where our life stands. That you do not condemn we would be people that run to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we worship?